not only honored as we are blessed to have this opportunity to worship God, we are extremely thankful. For this is a privilege, and we're thankful to God for granting this opportunity to each of us. Welcome to you, both members and visitors alike. We praise God for your attendance this morning. Let's go to our great God, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for all that you've done and for all that you do. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your great Son, who so willingly died on that cruel cross of Calvary, that we might live. The very thought, Lord God, that every nail that went into his hands, that he willingly accepted that so that we might live. The very thought, Lord God, that he prayed to you from his human side and prayed the cup pass, if it be thy will. But, Lord God, it was not your will. It was your will that we might be saved. For that we are eternally grateful. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be here today. Help us to remember our suffering Savior who died on that cruel cross of Calvary. As we worship you, so that our minds will be focused on this hour, this moment, this opportunity to say thank you to you for all that you've done, for all that you do, and for all that you will do. These things we do pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. It be thy will. Amen. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, protecting the integrity of the marriage. Please give me just a few lessons on this topic so that we can deal with it adequately. Humanity has taken one of the greatest gifts that the Godhead has given to us. And mankind has devalued it to a cheap, limited thrill. Sex, adultery, marriage, remarriage, divorce, all that is just, the world's in a mess. Oh, the church too. In verse 18, the Bible says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Unless the natural desires that attract us to members of the opposite sex. Turn to Matthew 16, please, or Matthew chapter 19. Unless these, these feelings are channeled exclusively toward a loving marriage relationship, the temptation to engage in sexual immorality can easily easily overpower our self-control. Marriage is one of the most foundational, important building blocks of society. And it affirms that sexual purity is a part of being holy, sanctified, and united. Jesus says in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 19, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God's instructions clearly establish what 
all generations, present, past, and future, are supposed to discover and understand. Turn to Hebrews, please, chapter 13. Regarding marriage, regarding sex, here's what God expects us to know and to understand. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. That's not to be taken lightly. So in protecting the integrity of the marriage, this extends far beyond sexual promiscuity. According to the dictionary, integrity is a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, which to Christians is a firm adherence to a code of moral and ethical principles. And we might add, as God's children, honesty and uprightness. It is God's call to man for perfection. Turn to Proverbs chapter 19. All marriages should have open and willing accountability, complete and total honesty, complete submission to God, each other, and humility toward one another. Proverbs 19 and verse 1. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Integrity. The integrity of a poor man. Chapter 28 and verse 6. There the text says, Better is the poor who walked in his integrity than he who is crooked though he be rich. Living a life of integrity is critically important. I'm going to go back to Job chapter 2 in just a moment. Holding fast to integrity is a choice. Because integrity is an attitude. So Job is suffering all of his tribulations and trials and struggles. In Job 27, in verse 5, Job says, Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I mean, I want you to think about that for just a moment. I want you to think about that. Through all of Job's sufferings, you know, far be it from me that, that I should, should declare you right, speaking to his friends. And then he, he makes this bold and profound statement Suffering, suffering. Everyone's left him. He's lost his family, and and to him he has he has no one left. All that he has is God. And then Job says, "Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me." Integrity is an attitude, brother. It's a choice. We apply that to our marriages. What an amazing thing that we can do, upholding the honor of marriage. In Job chapter 2, in verse 3, here's what God had to say about him. After he had lost all, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, 
for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you've incited me against him to ruin him without a cause. Integrity. Genesis chapter 20. Brethren, do we have integrity when it comes to marriage? The world and the church, unfortunately, today have devalued marriage to where it becomes almost meaningless. Something that people just try out for a little while as if there is another way out. Integrity is an attitude. It protects us from the opportunities that destroy the marriage relationships and relationships with God. Integrity produces honor, truth, and faithfulness. And we have to learn to do this, to hate sin. We have to learn to hate what God hates. The world teaches us that we should love what God hates. But God wants us to hate the things that He hates. Integrity will give us the ability to uphold the moral and ethical code of God. And so as we go over to Genesis chapter 20, I want to show you the power of integrity. What will integrity do? So here in the, the context with Abimelech um, and, and Sarah, I want you to listen to what's going on. Then Abraham, verse 1, journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. And then he sojourned in Gera. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night. And I want you to understand that, that this, this dream in the night, this here's, he, he took Sarah, and then there's this time span that goes on. I don't know how long it is, but there's a time span that goes on. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is married. You think God holds that in honor? And then he goes on to say, Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister, and she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said, to him in this dream. Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also have kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Integrity. It's an attitude. It's doing the right thing, right? It's honoring, brethren, honoring our marriages in this context of what we're talking about now. Honoring our marriages holding fast our own integrity. Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39, beginning at verse 7. Joseph and his integrity. You know the account of Potiphar's wife. And uh, as you go through this account, we come all the way down to verse 7. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, 
because you are his wife, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You see, when we don't hold our relationships, our marriage relationships, the idea of integrity, when we're not being honest and truthful, we're not just sinning against our spouses. Brethren, we're sinning against God. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. And God does not take it lightly in no way, shape, or form. Integrity will give us the ability to uphold that moral and ethical code of our Lord and Savior. Verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 10. He who walks in integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his way will be found out. Chapter 11 and verse 3. The Bible says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the falseness of the treacherous will destroy them. And then back to chapter 6 in verse 26. The Bible there says, Give me just a moment to get there. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and adulterers hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Do you see the, the seriousness behind this? Protecting the integrity of marriage includes all moral and ethical principles. It is about choosing righteousness. It is about choosing the very commandments of God. It's about doing the right thing. Rightness. How it escapes our minds in this moment. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, please. This moment of, you know, whatever, whatever word we want to use, whatever thought you want to use. How it escapes our mind that God is present. And how many people have walked away from their marriages through adultery. How sad. How sad. How selfish. Just being honest, right? Integrity. How do we protect our marriages? In the Word of God, we, we not only find salvation, but we find that great ethical and moral code of God that God has revealed to humanity. And it's not to be compromised, brethren. It is not to be compromised. And how great it is as, as, as younger, I guess, younger married folks, as you, you look up, as we look up and we say, wow, I can be married 20 years, praise God. 30 years, praise God. 40 years, praise God. You grow together, we grow old together. We live life, we learn to love each other. We love each other in different ways. I mean, we all grow differently. We grow together in an amazing way. How wonderful it is. 60 years God has given us. In marriage, however many years you've been married, what an amazing blessing. Oh, I know times aren't always great, but I've got to hold fast my integrity. And so do you. So this is what God did. In Exodus chapter 19, God began to set up and establish uh, himself in the, in, the, in the eyes of the people, in their peals of thunder and lightning flashes and things of that sort. And it frightened Israel. It frightened Israel. And we go to chapter 20 and verse 18. And all the people perceived the thundering and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but 
Not, let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you. When someone comes along and they're trying to persuade you to leave your marriage for just a moment, I need you to think about God. Fear God. Fear God. What was the point of the peals of lightning and thunder, the very end of that verse 20, so that you might not or you may not sin? Fear God. And then what did God do? Here's what God did. Exodus 31 and verse 18. If we follow the principles of God, if we follow the commands of God, if we follow the laws of God, brother, what an amazing relationship we will have in our lifetime. Verse 18 says, And when he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. So God took the time to write this out for us. And what did he write out? The Ten Commandments. And what I want to do is I want to spend time. This morning we're just going to do uh, a two, a two of them, and then, and then we'll come back and, and do some more as time goes on. Exodus chapter 20. He gave us the Ten Commandments. Now the question is that this morning is how can we apply those that moral ethical code that God has given to mankind, the law, the Ten Commandments, Ten in particular, though there are many commandments that God gave to them, but these particular Ten Commandments, how can we use these Ten Commandments, the principles that God has given to us, and apply them to our marriage relationship? All Ten Commandments. And I'm going to show you that we can do that. I'm going to show you the power that God has given to us as we look at God's moral and ethical principles, the laws that God gave to humanity. Okay, let's take a look. Verse, verse 1, Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty simple. Loyalty, right? Isn't that what God is asking for? Loyal. I want you, I expect you to be loyal to me. I want you to be committed, and I want you to be dedicated, and have no other gods before me. And we could say that about our marriages, couldn't we? I don't want you to have no other woman and no other man come into our relationship. I expect loyalty, commitment, and dedication. How simple that is. How simple that is. To be loyal, to be dedicated, to be faithful, to be committed to God, not to self-pleasure. Remembering that we are not God. We are subject and accountable to the sovereign God. And if God is correct in our minds, this is important. If God is correct in our minds, everything else in life falls into place. If God is correct. You see, we have to really, literally remove God and the rightness from our minds to engage in this relationship that's contrary, not only to His will, but to the will of our spouses. To be loyal, to be dedicated, to be faithful, to be committed to our spouses 
It means you put no one except God before your spouse. It's kind of simple, isn't it? Oh, I know we have lots of excuses that we make up and lots of reasons and thoughts in our minds. You go, well, you just don't understand. Well, I do understand. If you have God right in your mind, this is not going to be an issue. But once you remove God from your mind, it becomes an issue. Someone might say, well, preacher, you don't really understand. I don't have to understand everything about what's going on in your minds, except if God is right in our minds, this is not going to be an issue. So God expects loyalty. He expects no one to be put before him. And what we need to do, and maybe this is where uh, some of the issues come up, is that we need to establish clear, solid, absolute boundaries. Don't flirt around with this. Don't pretend like we're better or stronger than Satan. We need clear, absolute, solid boundaries. Well, in our, in our system, if you will, and, and you know, we wear a ring on our fingers and, and things like that. And that doesn't even really matter too much anymore in America. But your mind does. And so you clearly step away and stay away from anything that's going to draw you away from your relationship. Loyalty. Loyalty. The very first commandment. Loyalty, commitment, and dedication to God. Number two. Verse four. You should not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Worship. Worship. Wait, worship our spouses? No, absolutely not. Let's follow this principle. Let's understand this principle. Worship. Staying with the Lord and never forsaking God in worship. Keeping the worship of God correct. So now, number one, we have God. Keeping God correct in our minds. Secondly, keeping the worship of God correct in our minds. As we honor Him always. You see, that's why reverence in worship is so important. It's not just coming to the building together and just playing. No, to worship God, to teach our children, this is reverence. It's a time of reverence for God. We, we understand reverence. Once you learn reverence, then you, it helps you in every day of your walk of life to reverence God, to fear God, to honor God, to respect God, to worship God correct in our minds, being in complete and total submission to God. Worship, right? We've built many lessons on worship. To forsake worship, in my opinion, and I think I, I think I have scriptures to back it up. But it, but to forsake worship, I believe, in my opinion, is the second greatest need of a man. Worship. Now, number one, number one, we we need God. There's no question about that. Number two, humans need worship. You see it all through the scriptures, right? When they walk away from God, they worship something. 
whether it's a stone or some carpet or wood, they worship something. We all need desperately worship. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us it's in our heart. God put it in us to worship. So God, number one, worship, number two. You get those two out of order and your life becomes out of kilter. Those two out of your life and you, you've got issues. But rather when we have proper worship and, and true reverence to God and we have God right in our minds, things begin to fall into place. So we need to worship God in truth when it's unfulfilled we replace God with something else. Think about that. Think about the idolatry in our world today. God has been replaced time and time and time again. When we replace, when we find ourselves not worshiping God, we worship something else. Hmm. Think about that for just a moment. We substitute God for something else. The lack of fulfillment. Turn to Proverbs 27, please. The lack of fulfillment in worship causes humanity to glorify images. And God said, you shall have no other gods, no other images before me, because God is a jealous God. Can I think about your knowledge, your knowledge of the Scriptures and how many images there are in the Old Testament where man worshipped something else, where they substituted God for something else. Do we have images today? Some of us have images of that girl. Facebook gives us, social media gives us all kinds of images of, oh, we have images. And that's what we've got to get rid of. Right? That's what we have to get rid of. We, we have to watch and carefully uh, pursue a relationship with God. We have to do things that do not stimulate our minds or someone else's mind to jealousy. So think about images for just a moment. If, if I'm looking at something that my wife would become jealous of, is that not the same idea, if you will, and this idea of worshiping and stimulating worship or jealousy in the mind of God? Why would I do that? Proverbs 27 and verse 4. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy. Have no images, God. And I've, I've seen it, so chapter 6, please, uh, where, where some, some folks just, you know, dis, you know, totally dishonor and disrespect their spouse, and they don't even care about the fact of what they're looking at in the presence of their spouse. You don't think that bothers your spouse? If we have an image before God, does that not bother God? Verse 34, Proverbs chapter 6. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Have no images before God. Have no images before your spouses. These cause jealousy. And if you haven't done it already, clear them from James chapter 1. 
clear them from your phones, from your computers, from your devices, or wherever it may be. You need to get rid of those images. Marriage is to be held in honor. Honor. What a word, huh? It's not even spoken much of today. Honor. So James says, look, I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to get into your head for just a moment. I want you to understand something, preacher, that when, when you don't have God right in your mind, something else is going on. What's going on in my mind, Lord? Here it is. What goes on in my mind when God is not right in my mind is I begin to lust and crave evil things. Right? And James tells us that in chapter 1 and verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So this isn't a God thing. So here I am walking away from God, trying to fulfill something in my heart, because right now I just don't want God. Now I'm not going to just say that, but in reality my action is going to say, I just don't want you right now, God, because I love my sin right now more than I love you. And in verse 14 it says, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. Here's the, it's so important that we are like Joseph. Walk away. Run away. Stay away. When you know something's going on that isn't right, it doesn't seem kosher. Turn to Matthew 26. It just doesn't seem right. And you know that there's, there's some weakness inside of you in regards to this other person, whether it be male or female. You know that it's there. Don't stay there. Remember your integrity. Get away. But I don't want to go away. And that's what James just said. I know. But we need to get away. We've got to remember our integrity. Lust is the beginning of adultery and immorality. And adultery begins in the mind. And so does idolatry. It begins in the mind. Jesus says something to us that's so important. Remember that Proverbs passage that that a man broke down to a, a loaf of bread? It's because the flesh is weak. And Jesus said that very same thing in verse 41. Keep watching. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane to the disciples. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's what's really important. I'm going to begin to wrap this up. Connection. Connection is the essential key. Communication. We talked about that in communion this morning. Communication. Don't lose your connection. Communicate with your spouses on a regular basis about everything. Grow together, not apart. Connection. Don't lose your connection with God. Whatever's going on in your mind, whatever's going on in your heart, whether it be good or evil, pray about it. Whether on one hand is, Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity or blessings or whatever's going on at this time. Or, Lord, please stop me from my evil thoughts and wickedness that's in my heart. Lord, right now I feel weak. I need you, as I always do. 
And then take it one step further. Communicate with your spouse. Help me. I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know what's happening in my heart or in my mind, but I need you more than ever. Connection. If you keep the connection alive in good times, times that there are no struggles, it's easier to continue in the connection when there are times of struggle. You have to maintain a great level of communication and connection with your spouse. But not just communication. I believe there should be effective communication because then it's, I feel what you're saying. I understand what you are trying to communicate to me. I'm not just hearing it audibly. I actually understand what you're saying from your heart. Effective communication. The connection must stay alive. Ephesians chapter 4 and then And then I will let you go. When you talk to each other, talk to each other with kindness and gentleness, forgiveness and understanding. And that takes time. It takes time. If we're going to protect the integrity of the relationship, Brethren, we have, we have to keep God right in our minds. And we have to keep worship right in our minds. It does, a, it does wonders to us. And that will help us to translate this over to keep our spouses correct in our minds. And to rid ourselves from anything that would cause jealousy in our spouses' hearts. Verse 31, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This morning, if you're struggling in your relationship, you've got, you got to talk. First talk to God and talk to each other. Maybe you might need to talk to someone else and have them pray for you. But be sure to do this. Open up your book. Read your book together. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. This morning, if you're not a child of God, here's what God has done. He's provided an avenue, an entrance into his kingdom. Because he's so kind and so gentle and so tenderhearted and so forgiving. And he's made it very simple. And so if you hear his word and you believe it, and you're willing to repent, have godly sorrow in your heart, and you're willing to confess his name before man, be baptized, immersed in water, then God will remove all your sins, grant you the gift of the Holy Spirit, make you a member of the Church of Christ and heir of the kingdom of heaven. This morning, if we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Never from thee.
Father, leave me gentle.